now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. You could use some very loyal people right now. It's not going well at all. Kind of like your technical difficulties, Phil. It yeah. didn't go well either. Moving your computer and then unplugging it while you're on a Skype call is not really conducive to doing a podcast. It can happen to anybody. It can. <laughs> it doesn't, but it can. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. It's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, boys. Hey, Nick. Hey. Howdy, hey, Phil. Hey. Hey. Hi. Hi. Um, shameless plugs before we get started. If you like the podcast or have questions or comments uh, or, you know, want to share it with people, beer suggestions, anything like that, follow us on Facebook at Barstool Politics, Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Uh, beers that we try are on the Untapped app. We're just Barstool Politics. You can download that on iOS and Android. The podcast, find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play Music and all major podcasting platforms pretty much. Uh, you know, this week I just to our my uh, you know I said Alexa play Barstool Politics. It will do that now. Get the fuck out! It was it was fantastic. No way! Yes, yes. So talk to your smart speaker. Oh, you get to hear us. I We're have famous. to do that now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm gonna do that so many times. Every time I'm over at someone's house, I'm just gonna play our podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, interesting stuff. Uh, the president apparently can do whatever he wants. Yeah, that's right. King Trump. You know what? For me, what was fascinating is this week. I pawed on you. What's that? I pawed on you. I pawed on me. <laughs> no, Schindler's List. No, nobody. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> now I get it. This week, we left out the fact that um, Paul Manafort is apparently like trying to you know, get witnesses and interfere with witnesses. And we're like, well, that's not big enough story, right? We can't, right. you know, there's there's other things to talk about. Like the president is going to pardon the world. Well, so. he's an idiot. So we just kind of assume that's going on. But it says something when that story, we're like, nope, can't can't work it in. He's, he was trying to write an opinion piece about his role in this whole debacle while he was under house arrest. And then he was calling he's, people. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. wrote a he wrote a column using a pseudonym, right? right. Yes. yes, yes. And then he tried to reach out to people using WhatsApp. Yes, and Mueller was over all over all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Manafort's like I mean I know that this is not even one of our topics, but I have to yeah. say Paul Manafort, funny. It, like he's known for being a strategic thinker and a smart yes. guy, and except now, like when he's <laughs> on the hot seat, he's right. just an idiot. Let's use WhatsApp. Nobody will know. <laughs> right. Right. God, they're just the worst villains. This, the whole thing is falling apart. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we should start with what happened with the president. So the New York Times published two letters that President Trump's lawyer sent to special counsel Robert Mueller back in January of 2018 and June of 2017. The letters make an extraordinary assertion of executive power. 
essentially embracing Nixon's position that, quote, when the president does it, that means it's not illegal. That was my Nixon there. Uh, The letters (laughs) argue the president can't obstruct justice because obstruction of justice would amount to him obstructing himself. Uh, It don't make no sense. It does. He could could terminate the inquiry or even exercise his power to pardon himself at any time if he so desired. The letter asserts Trump was free to fire former FBI Director Jim Comey at any time for any reason, and he could even order the termination of the investigation in which he is a subject at any time and for any reason. Rudy Giuliani may have said it best, uh, noting that under no circumstance can the president be subpoenaed or indicted, even if he shot James Comey. (laughs) Yes. Trump hopped on Twitter yesterday to clear things up, stating, quote, the appointment of the special counsel is totally unconstitutional. And as has been stated by numerous legal scholars, I have the absolute right to pardon myself. But why would I do that when I've done nothing wrong? (laughs) All right. One more nugget in all of this. Uh, in this, in these letters, uh, Trump's lawyers acknowledged that President Trump had, in fact, dictated the false statement released by Donald Trump Jr. about the Trump Tower meeting with Russian operatives, something the administration had denied multiple times. Phil, <laughs> Phil, what is going on here? It feels Taking like it the whole. Phil. Feels like this is a this is like a hypothetical class that you have about the Constitution. W- w- what's going on? This is like your students in yes, that hypothetical exactly. class. Can, the, in can these this positions. happen? <laughs> so, I, I mean, to be pointed, what's going on is he, he's he's done some shit that he's guilty <laughs> of, right? And he's trying to uh, squirm out of it. But that's, I mean, the bigger issue here to me, I, I mean, there's lots of little nit, nitpicky things that I can get into. But, I mean, we could talk about the fact that I think most legal scholars it is up in the air it is up for debate about whether the president can pardon himself it has never been tried before but my understanding is that the bulk of legal scholars thinks that he cannot which um despite what he's tweeting all of this the argument that he can pardon himself the the idea that if the president does it it's not illegal and that he can't obstruct justice because it would be obstructing himself Essentially, what the Trump administration and those around Donald Trump are arguing is that he is above the law, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That they are. He is essentially when you say I can't obstruct justice because that would be obstructing myself. You are arguing that I am the law, right? And that is that is like I don't know that it, you know <laughs> if we go back to what the Constitution is all about. Like if we don't, I mean, we could talk about the the specific clauses within the Constitution, but what it was all about was creating a system in which. The leader is not above the law. It is mind boggling to me that they are making these arguments and that it's not a bigger. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not a big thing, right? This has been in the news, but um, it should have people worried. And it's back to this partisanship thing that we've talked about a lot that drives me crazy. Ted Cruz was asked about this, right? (laughs) And it took, did you see this where he paused 18 seconds before he basically said, I don't have an answer. If, if, you know, the funny, not to interrupt, but the funny thing was, so it took him 18 seconds when they asked him if the president can pardon himself and you can hear shoes and you can hear footsteps and all these other things and you think, did he go away? And then he says, it's something I've not studied. Except for the fact that he had written, apparently during the Obama administration, he'd written an article for some Harvard Law Review or something like that where he had talked about right. pardoning. So, you know, it's clear that he knows this is clearly not right. something the president can do. I, I don't like Ted Cruz, but he <laughs> he's smart. He's mm-hmm. smart. He's argued before the Supreme Court. He's a legal scholar. If Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton were threatening to 
to pardon themselves, it would not take 18 seconds for him to come out with the answer that, no, the president cannot pardon themselves. Mm -hmm. And and there would be all sorts of, you know, investigations and arguments. And so I I don't this is really just disheartening, I think, to me. I use that word a lot on here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Be be more chipper. (laughs) Um, An imperial presidency, Nick. It sounds fun, doesn't it? It kind of sounds fun. Um, I I mean, at the same time, we have given the executive branch a significant amount of powers that were not part of the original plan for that branch of government. Having said that, those, uh, those powers that we've given have kind of led us to the point where we, this is fairly uncharted territory we don't have a good explanation of it and realistically the legal basis for either argument is pretty non-existent at this point i i mean from a base perspective yeah i think we're all in agreement that he should not be above the law no president should be above the law and it's ridiculous to even think so but the fact that there's nothing on the record to say otherwise and it conflicts with national security concerns and conflict of interest and all of that bullshit just this could go on and on and on for a long a long time if he actually does if something happens where he decides to pardon himself mm-hmm. i mean i don't know where that would end I, I, especially supreme court probably right? yeah that's yeah, where it's gonna I, have well, to obviously end. Yeah. it would end there but i mean there would be so much wrangling legal wrangling to right. get to that point and the discussion would be so lengthy and convoluted that it would be really difficult to come to a clear-cut decision that everybody would be happy with. And the thing with it is that while I think Trump is kind of a dummy on some of these issues, this legal argument isn't. I mean, they're they're being very sophisticated to say that the Constitution makes Trump the chief justice officer, right? That that's the reality. And, and more recently, what we've done is we've created a wall between the Department of Justice and the presidency to say the president appoints the attorney general, but then doesn't have any input on the investigations and prosecutions. And and Trump's lawyers are now saying, well, ultimately, this does come back to the president. So he therefore has the right to dictate investigations. I saw somebody talking about like Thomas Jefferson was, you know, that when he was president, he was carrying out investigations and he was behind all of this. So we're just returning to the founding fathers and giving Trump the power that the president first had. I think that's un- that's ignoring it's, it's, it's ignoring a lot of the norms and very good norms that we've established since Nixon. And the president is given the power of pardon. Right? Yes. So, I mean, yeah. there, there are lots of sort of constitutional arguments for uh, for this. Mm-hmm. I, so you, are you are you arguing that he does have this? No, no. I, well, here's well, that's a good question. It depends if we're originalist. Like, are we looking at the Constitution to say what does it really say? And even that is ambiguous. Just because the early founders did it one way doesn't mean that that's the right way. That was the intent. And just because Jefferson was involved in some investigations doesn't mean Donald Trump should be. My sense is that if it worked its way to the Supreme Court, they would both reject the idea that the president can pardon himself and that he has the ability to manipulate and control investigations of himself. I mean, to your earlier point, Phil, the reason when they put this document together, was they didn't want another king. And the argument that Trump is making is that I'm a, I'm essentially above the law, and that I can't imagine that's what the founders wanted. But we, you know, we talked last week about the a little bit about the politicization of the Supreme Court as right. well. Yes, yes. I, I mean, do you? I again, I think thirty years ago, I would have had more faith that the Supreme Court would actually like when this comes down to 
this very political. I'd, I'd like to think that they would rule on a on a legal basis, not a political basis. But I, I don't know if it comes down to a party issue of can a president pardon himself. I, I don't I can think of two to three justices that I'm not sure would would say that, sure. that he doesn't have that power. Mm-hmm. I see it. I see that there's two separate things. One, can he can he squash an investigation? That's one right. constitutional question. And the other is pardon. Maybe, and again, we're not, we're none of us are constitutional law experts, but my sense would be that maybe the court would give him the right to stop an investigation, to intervene in an investigation. I can't imagine they would give him the right to pardon himself. I mean, that just seems so absurd. No president has ever done it. I, I just, I, that feels so far out of the realm of normal interpretation of the constitution i would hope so we're you know that's the democracy is essentially crumbling if that happens mm-hmm. uh, because you're right then the courts the court is no different from a legislature if it is simply allowing what the president wants but the interesting thing about the question of whether the president can pardon himself is that the arguments that i've read about it come down more to it's less legal arguments and more linguistic arguments. It's yeah. about the what what the term pardon means, and that you know it's you know when you say pardon me to someone, it's it's something that you grant to someone, and you can't grant it to yourself. Or there are these sort yeah. of philosophical arguments about how you can't a be a <laughs> good point. <laughs> and you can't uh, you can't be a ju- you know constitutionally you can't be the a judge or you can't be on a jury in your own. See, that's uh, the point. In your own case, so that's what comes back to the pardoning thing. But I don't know that any of that is explicit. The, the arguments would be fascinating to listen to. Yes. Because the, the thing that is explicit is that the president is given the power of the pardon, right? Mm-hmm. He is. Now, but wouldn't the... Okay, here's the other question. If he did, if he tried to do this, if he came out and said, I'm pardon, pardoning myself, would a Republican Congress immediately move to impeachment hearings? I mean, it, it is, took Ted Cruz 18 <laughs> seconds to say, no, I don't understand that. No, sure, they would fight a I mean, tooth that, and nail. That's the thing, though. Now is the time for like, – this is where you, you would hope Republicans would be saying something now. Now yeah. is the time, right? You don't wait until he's pardoned himself. It, if you think the president has the power to pardon himself, then don't say anything or say that you think he has the power to. But if you are concerned about whether he will do this – now is the time to make a statement saying, I don't think that the president has the power to do this. And if he were to do it, I would move to impeach him, which is not something that he can be pardoned from. Right um, now is the time to actually lay that groundwork and make those statements. And and I, there, I think for political reasons, they're reluctant to do that. But there's a sort of legal and, and normative cost to be paid down the road because Ted Cruz won't say the thing that he knows, which is that a president doesn't have the power to do this. Or whether he knows it or not, the thing that he thinks, right? I think that the, that this would be problematic for our government. And and so, you know, stake your claim on that. That, that. that claim shouldn't be dependent on whether a Democrat or a Republican is in office. But you can understand why Republicans would be reluctant to do that, right? Because if I'm if I'm Ted Cruz, I avoid that question. I say, he's not going to do that. Why put myself out there to reinforce this norm, which right. I think you're right, Phil, he should do. But he's thinking in terms of his own immediate micro level and why, you know, it's well, not going to happen. But what's the political capital in doing that right now? It makes in, no sense. In the immediate in the immediate future, there's no there's no reason to do that. Not for the politician. For Absolutely the democracy. Not. For the democracy. Well, nobody gives important. a shit about that right now. We're <laughs> talking right. about no, politicians. 
But that that is a big deal to think that they're. I mean, it was it Chuck Grassley came out and said something. If if my lawyer said I could pardon myself as president, I would get a new lawyer. So, but that's not the kind of definitive voice of the party where we say this is unacceptable. So, so you're not convinced that even if Trump tried to do this, that congressional Republicans wouldn't say tomorrow is impeachment. I think that for and I, it's easy to talk about Republicans right now, but I, I you know, it, because they're the ones that are on the hot seat. But I think in our society today that we've we've put partisanship so ahead of these other issues that I, I don't I don't know that they would, you know, and I, I, I would like to think uh, that the, you know, I, I don't we go back to the Democrats and, and you know, Bill Clinton, that was a, a very different situation in terms of the, the legal stuff involved in it. But yeah, I mean, partisanship goes uh, you know, first, and I, I that it it's it scares me, but I, I don't I don't have faith that the Republicans would have a unified. And this is where it's because if Trump has a grasp on the Republican Party, if he has a grasp on voters, if the the majority of Republican supporters want him or support him, and and when we play politics by this us versus them logic, then it doesn't really matter what you're saying as long as you're pissing off the democrats then sure. then you're doing the right thing and so I, that's where yeah i mean i i would love it if we had a hundred principled senators who who believed what they you know said and weren't weren't concerned about re-election they were concerned with doing the right thing but that is not what we have that i mean you get both politicians and the public who will willingly go along with undermining democratic norms i mean it's mm-hmm. it's stunning in order to win. Exactly. Because right. winning is more important. Yep. More important than long-term stability of the democracy. Yep. So what do you guys think about this fact that Trump in this letter came out and said that he did dictate the statement to Don Jr.? For me, this was, I know they've talked about it a little bit, but for me, this was stunning because not only did Trump's lawyer, Jay Sekulow, come out and like multiple times said Trump did not do this. He had nothing to nothing to do with the actual statement itself. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders came out and said the president maybe offered a little bit of fatherly advice, but certainly wasn't involved. And in this letter then to Robert Mueller, they say, oh, yeah, he dictated the letter. I mean, Phil, they're they're lying to us. They're lying to us. But he didn't lie to the special investigator. He just lied to us. <laughs> right. right. Which he, is not he criminal, He didn't I guess. lie when it mattered. Okay, so he's okay. Everything's okay. Don't worry about it. Okay, I'm sorry, Phil. I feel better. (laughs) This is, I mean, this is where we're so far down this rabbit hole that we forget. Well, I I mean, so back to the, the, I want to talk about what you were saying. But again, the whole idea that we're even having a discussion, it's not that we, the president is openly talking about his power to pardon. That is huge in and of itself. This has only happened what was nixon has there been another time when a president has discussed pardoning himself i mean this is massively this is the fact that we are even talking about it is hugely significant and it just seems to us like another day on twitter for trump i think was it during the nixon administration i think a couple days prior to him stepping down he did i think he asked his attorney general can i pardon myself and they said no (laughs) he's like no of course not you can't do this so which is why he resigned right and again that it's it's one thing for the Trump administration in a letter to the special counsel to kind of make an outrageous legal claim as a say, like, here's our first salvo, come back with something. But then you have Giuliani, you have Trump himself, all these other figures are, are doubling down on it in the public space saying, no, we can we can do this. So it's it's not just hypothetical. They're they're pushing this argument, which, you know, if he knows the game, if 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 what if what we're saying is true, which is 
whether or not Trump has the power to pardon himself is not a constitutional question, but a question of public opinion and whether Republicans will let him get away with it, then starting to make this argument now that he's, you know, this being very public about it might be this very smart play. It's both a legal and a political argument at this point. Right. So back to what you were saying about him admitting that he dictated this. I, I, I kept coming back to this week. Um, I, and Tom's not here to defend himself. But, uh, <laughs> we, I was listening again to what we talked about last week. And, you know, Tom was saying, it, and, and he's right. Tom made a, a claim at one point as we were discussing this, that there hasn't been, you know, the, the, the argument that Trump should push to get this, this thing over with, it's taking too long. Tom was saying there's, there's not been any, you know, evidence that's, that's shown that there was collusion or whatever. And, and I think, from the Mueller camp or whatever, there hasn't been like that. That evidence hasn't been presented. But we, the public, know of evidence that I, I think that that's kind of what's insane, right? This meeting with Russians did occur, yeah. And Donald Trump knew about it and dictated the statement that came out afterwards, right? So the, these false, connections, a false statement, a clearly a, false statement, right? So I, we don't, you know, Mueller has not presented any charges or any clear links, but the public record is pretty obvious, the ties here that, that have occurred. And that may not rise to some grand conspiracy between the Russians and the Trump administration. But if we could go back in time two years and say, hey, if a presidential candidate is having meetings with Russian agents and lying to the American public about it in order to like share hacked information about their opponent, it would be the biggest political scandal in American history, right? And so this is where, again, it feels a little bit like the frog in the pot of boiling water and that we've just kind of gotten so used to this that it doesn't seem all that shocking. But if you can step back and look at where we are, that the the links between the Trump campaign and Russians and all of this other stuff, they're out there in the public mm-hmm. record. Like, this is this is known. Well, and Trey Gowdy, this or he hasn't not this week, but recently he's been saying, like, you know, Mr. President, if you're if you're not guilty, stop looking like you're guilty. Right. right. And this makes you look guilty. If this meeting with the Russians, if nothing came of it, if it was just a conversation where the Russians are like, hey, we have dirt, but it wasn't anything substantive. It wasn't like they left the meeting with a clear plan. Acknowledge that. Take your short term beat, and move on. Well, it's not even that he. It's like he slips up every now and then or makes a comment or something. There's a written record of him mm-hmm. just spewing shit yes. that right. makes him look really, really guilty. Which they right. deny and deny and deny until they're forced to. In, in, in this in this case, I'm sure Mueller knew that he was lying about this. Probably because Hope Hicks, when she testified, said, yes, Trump did dictate the letter. Right. So then they come clean. But it looks so awful when you've had this PR campaign to the public to say, oh, no, the president wasn't involved crafting this lie, this false statement, but then comes back and says they were to Mueller. I mean, it just creates this impression to Phil's point that why would you lie if there's nothing there? And if you're doing that, it's just stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, on top of that. Or you're guilty. (laughs) Right, or you're guilty. Why would you publicly tweet that you have the power to pardon yourself? Why would you do that? (laughs) It, it like it, there has never been a guiltier looking person. Yes, yes. I mean, it is it is amazing. Right. Nobody's provoking you. Just shut the fuck up. And, All you have to do is sit there. It is entirely possible that he did nothing. That there were. I mean, that Manafort was doing. No, it's his, not. No, no, it is. Okay, it is. <laughs> Hypothetically, that Manafort was doing his illegal activity, and that Flynn was doing his illegal activity, and Papadopoulos <laughs> was doing his thing. But there, it never rose to the level of Trump, right? That he never did anything that was directly with the Russians, and maybe they made some stupid mistakes. 
if that's the case, you could not play this more wrongly, right? I mean, this is this is a terrible legal strategy to lie and obfuscate. obfuscate I don't know, that right? Uh, yeah, that word, that word, yeah. Um, <laughs> and just bring all this additional trouble onto you and then then respond by saying it's a witch hunt and it's 13 angry Democrats. Um, they're angry. Yeah, they it, are no, very angry. We, which, it isn't even Democrats either. <laughs> it doesn't matter, they're angry. Yes. <laughs> several months ago we talked about, it feels like several months ago, maybe it's been years ago, I don't know. <laughs> we talked about uh, the smoking gun analogy, right? Yes. That the smoking gun doesn't doesn't actually mean that you've i mean it's it's essentially you don't you don't see the crime happening you just the the circumstantial evidence is so overwhelming that you can't deny it um and we talked about at that point that it was clear this was like a smoking gun the evidence it's like donald trump is standing in a pile of smoking guns (laughs) right right now right he is covered in them (laughs) you know where there's smoke there's fire right it's the same sort of metaphor like he's there's smoke everywhere (laughs) i i i still wonder I'm still of the mindset that they're not going to find any direct links from a collusion standpoint. If there's going to be anything, it's going to be something like this. An obstruction. He, yeah, yeah, obstruction of justice. He trips up and he does something stupid and there's evidence that he lied about something. And it's, But I, if it's that, if it's going to that level... I'm still I still question why the investigation is taking this long. If there is that much public evidence on the, in the public record that we know about, I I still question why the investigation is taking this long. I I suspect that I mean when Mueller brings this to I, there are questions about whether Mueller can bring any charges against Trump, but right. I I think I think Mueller wants and such an airtight case that yeah. there is no doubt when he brings it to to um, sure. to a grand jury. I, I I mean I you you say that like you don't know I don't know this is where I, I I I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt but I come back to like this idea of I don't we've talked about whether it can ever be tied to Trump. But it seems like we've done that, right? I mean this this meeting with the Russians with the with the Russian lawyer or whatever about the dirt on Hillary Clinton happened with the president's campaign manager and the president's son and the yep. president's son-in-law. son-in-law. Jared's there. Right? Yeah. All in the room. And the president was involved in the statement about it afterwards. So the president knew about the meeting, <laughs> yes. right? I mean, I don't I don't know. Again, that is that is where I we keep talking about how it hasn't risen to this. I, I think if we're expecting that Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump sat in a room and like exchanged briefcases with secret documents, we're never going to get there. But I, I think... The idea that Russian agents reached out to the Trump campaign and they said, yeah, we'll take dirt on our mm-hmm. opponent. And the president, the, the presidential candidate knew about it. That's collusion, I, right? They're working with the Russians. I don't know. I, I think there's enough wiggle room in that. He knew that there was a statement made or there was something going on where there was a statement that needed to be made. And he didn't like the way that the statement was going to be treated. So he changed it or completely rewrote it for Don Jr. It, so, it gets this question of intent. What was Trump's intent? Right. Is, is the intent to cover, not cover a crime, well, maybe cover a crime, or to... Maybe Jr. is dyslexic. Maybe he can't spell well. You don't know. <laughs> I... <laughs> Go ahead, Phil. You can finish your statement if you want, Bill. I, I forgot I should now. Make it, I should make it clear that I, when, I make, when I say that collusion has occurred, I, um, I'm not necessarily talking from a legal standpoint. I don't know if you could legally prove collusion at that point. Uh, from a political standpoint, it's well known that Ru- Russian 
people who have ties to Vladimir Putin reached out or people from the Trump administration reached out to people who had ties to Vladimir Putin. There was contact between the Trump campaign and Russians, and there was an offer of aid that the Trump administration said, yeah, we'll take it. And, yeah. and mm-hmm. the fact that this is not enough to end a person's political career um, is mind boggling to me. I, I don't, to the times. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really, again, if you step back, I feel like at any other time in history, if there had been this linkage between someone running for this is the sort of thing that you would have put in a movie yeah oh, in yeah. the 1980s mm-hmm. and would have seemed like you know that's not realistic but it makes for a good spy thriller no, that's like right? if you wrote this in a book people say this is not real any of this my favorite was this weekend giuliani's on all the shows and trying to defend this statement you know the fact that they initially denied that trump dictated it and his his best defense was they misspoke that, you know, people make mistakes. So Jay Sekulow and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, his argument was, you know, when I first joined this process, I made a few mistakes. And that's probably what happened here. They misspoke. They thought that uh, that he wasn't involved, but he was. That's a terrible defense, Nick, right? I mean, these, they have meetings where they talk about the narrative, what's going out there. Jay Sekulow and Sarah Huckabee Sanders, they're not winging it. You know, they talk to the president. I'm sure they ask the president, did you dictate this? And they're saying, no, we did not. So it's it's clearly a systemic lie. It's not just those two going rogue. But that's what Giuliani is left with the defense. Like, they probably made a mistake. They misspoke. I'm I'm I'm. I'm shocked that you're implying that they're not winging it. I'm very much thinking that a lot of them are winging it. Some of them are, but the lawyers and Sarah could be Sanders. Like she's not winging it. Uh, all right, we, we should we should probably talk beers. Yes, let's this was, do that. This was good though. All mm-hmm. right, Phil, what are you drinking? I am drinking a beer from Throwback Brewery. Uh, Throwback is in New Hampshire somewhere. I think it's in Northampton. Yes. Anyway, the beer I'm drinking is. Uh, <laughs> called Love Me Long Time. Uh, oh, it is a Bohemian Pilsner. Uh, and um, yeah, I was wanting something more kind of lager Pilsner-ish, lighter summery when I went into the beer store today and he handed me this. And it's it's really nice. Um, it's not, I, again, I some, sometimes when you get into the, the kind of lighter lagery type beers, you lose a lot of the flavor. And this has a really nice kind of fruity citrusy hoppy flavor to it um lagers are getting better they're they're making some good lagers Mm -hmm. these days yeah um this was really good i I really liked it i'll drink more of them nick what are we drinking so first one we had was a um retrofit lime rattler so that's from burnt city which is uh right in chicago they're on they're on lincoln between diversity and rightwood they're awesome um i liked this one i it was it was very it's very citrusy it's very light um, again, one of those things that you can only have if it's really cold. Um, as it warmed up, it wasn't quite as good. But I, I personally liked it. I like tart things a yes. lot, and it was very, very tart. I, I'm not a yeah. It, I think that's what when you mentioned tart, I was like, that's what I didn't like about it. It's it's a well done beer, but I'm not a big tart guy. But I, uh, I could see how this could be on a hot day, refreshing. What do we always say? Like mowing the lawn, this would be good. Yeah, yeah. I still don't understand. Do you just mow the lawn and you just have a beer with yeah, you? It's the, the best. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. How do you do You're that? not old enough, Nick. <laughs> right. Someday you'll be old. You could, and you'll understand. <laughs> you look out at the lawn, you look at the lines, and you say, "I did a damn good oh, job." I was getting a little wavy by the end there. <laughs> <That's> yeah. <right. laughs> 
Oh. What else did we have? Uh, so my second beer, I had a pale ale from Sam Adams. It mm. is a crisp ale with a bright citrus hop note. I'm sorry, I thought we had the same thing. Oh no, no, uh, we we switched up. We had we had pale ales, but distinct ones. Mm. So this one, because it's Sam Adams, I don't feel bad saying something bad about it, but it's not very good. Um, <laughs> no, it uh, kind of there. You know, they're they're not paying attention. Uh, it is. <laughs> it's like not hoppy. Uh, it is a little. Not flat, but it just, I love pale ales, and this one didn't grab me. I love citra pale ales, but no, mm-hmm. I don't even like the, I don't even like the label. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, there goes that sponsorship. Um, second one I had uh, is from Three Floyds, which is always good. Space Station Middle Finger uh, American Pale Ale, uh, which is pretty good. It's not overly hoppy, but the hoppiness it does have is pretty sharp. Yeah. Um, but it's gone very quickly, and then I just want more of it because yeah. it's delicious. It is, that's a good beer. Yeah, yeah. it's very Three good. Floyds is fantastic. So, mm-hmm. All right, it's speed round time. Yay. All right, so, <laughs> so we're going to start with North Korea. We, we talk North Korea every week, but there's always there's new. Only so many good things. Exactly. So President Trump on Friday declared that his on and off summit with Kim was once again on. The announcement came after a senior North Korean hand delivered a personal letter from Kim that was inside. What's that? It was not full of rice and it was not radioactive, surprisingly. (laughs) But it was inside this insanely large white (laughs) envelope. And if you haven't seen the picture, go look. Trump has not yet revealed what was written in the letter, but he sure seemed happy to get it. A photo showed a grinning Donald Trump holding up the envelope, again, a large envelope. Alongside Kim Jong Chol, uh, as they posed in the Oval Office in front of a portrait of Thomas Jefferson, I would have to think Thomas Jefferson would have approved of all of this. <laughs> of course. <laughs> then, all right. So when uh, when describing the event to the press later in the day, Trump stated, "Quote: A letter was given to me by Kim Jong Un, and that letter was very nice. A very nice letter." <laughs> Less than ten minutes later, after being asked if he'd respond to the note. Trump admitted that he had purposely didn't open the letter and joked that, quote, he may be in for a big surprise. So he says it's a uh, it's a great, a very, very nice letter. And then he says, well, I haven't actually read the letter yet. <laughs> He's so full of shit. I know. <sighs> so, all right. Big picture. It does appear that Trump is softening his stance on denuclearization in the hopes of getting a deal. Uh, many have noted that just getting the U.S. president to smile in a picture with a North Korean is is a form of victory for North Korea. So, Phil, where, how are you reacting to the developments here? Is this a positive development, negative? I, I'm not. I, I'm not sure it's negative. It's the big envelope was disconcerting, but other than that, I'm okay. So. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. It's like I'm just so confused. I know it's so hard. <laughs> I so I. Again, the idea that there might be some sort of summit and progress in North Korea-U.S. relations, that's that's great. Great. That's good. Um, I can't help but feel like Trump is getting played here, right? I mean, the the North Koreans have for decades longed for a meeting with a U.S. president. Um, And the U.S. presidents in the past, Republicans and Democrats, have refused to meet with North Korea as, you know, basically we'll meet with you when you get in line with international expectations of 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 how a country should behave. And so Donald Trump is holding this up as a victory, right? This these meetings with with North Korea. But historically, it's it's you know, I don't know, maybe maybe it will work, but I can't help but feel like that picture is going to play better for North Korea than for the the US you are in many ways legitimizing the North Korean regime 
Um, you know, I hate, I don't, I don't hate, I, I try not to play the, if a Democrat were mm-hmm. in the presidency, but I find myself playing that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, if a North Korean like walked into the front door of the white house to meet with Barack Obama, Republicans would have been up in arms about it. It's this just partisanship thing again, that, that bothers me. But, um, but what's well, to that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, he's doing stuff differently, so maybe that will be effective, but I, I can't help but feel like this is not. Yeah. He's winging it, and and they have a clear plan. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my thought at least. So, what were you, go, go, go ahead. ahead. No, what were you gonna say? No, I, I had interrupted Bill. I was no, no. no I want to hear what Nick, and then I, I'll come back later. So, yeah. I, I I I kind of agree with that sentiment. the The point that I wanted to make is that I think that in situations like this, in this particular situation, I think any development is better than the zero developments that we've had with this regime over the past 50 years or so. I think any method that moves them towards being more um, integrally involved with the global community, especially in terms of China and the United States and backing away from Japan a little bit, makes it a, a more stable region and a more stable playing field for diplomatic relations going forward. If we can get them integrated into modern economies where it's you know not based on the u.s and china sending in food drops and packets of rice and something like that it's i i still think this is a good development the other side of this is when you're talking about if a democrat was doing this this would be you know completely abhorrent i think we saw this in some capacity when we're talking about iran and cuba specifically regardless of what you think about the Iranian regime and the nuclear deal, they, they've been shitheads ever since that deal has been put in place. They've done nothing to curtail their support, again, of militant groups that are in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan that are wreaking havoc across the region, on top of continuing to poke at Israel whenever they have the opportunity. And then you have Cuba, who is still a blatant human rights violator and still pretty notorious when it comes to political dissidents. And we just opened relations to him because it was politically expedient and cemented a legacy for a previous president without any real change to the policies that they had in place which made no sense to me at the time. Well, I, I yeah. think to build off your first point, and, and then in some ways the second, uh, that conversation is productive. So it's not as if opening dialogue suddenly solves the problem. But when you open dialogue with North Korea, it creates a space where you might... It's better than... We're solving the problem now. This is it. <laughs> it's better than where we were with Rocket Man. Now, you know, and I think the same thing with Iran and same thing with Cuba. If you're having conversations, there's at least political space where you can get in a more productive direction. I don't. It doesn't guarantee it, but it creates that opportunity. And I think in some ways what we've seen Trump doing here is similar to what George W. Bush did and similar to what the Clinton administration did. Let's try engagement. Let's see what happens. And North Korea, maybe distinct from those first, those other two examples, might be more interested in a deal right now. Mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un does seem like he wants to re-engage, especially with China, maybe with, with uh, South Korea, in some economic opportunities for its people. So if that's the case, then suddenly you might have the possibility of having a more comprehensive deal. I still don't think they're giving up nuclear weapons, but no. I think right. we're better in a better position now, but I don't think it's anything anything unique that Trump has done. And I think to Phil's point, you know, giving up this, just this photo shoot is a big deal. If you remember when Clinton met with uh, Kim Jong-un's father, they took this picture 
And Clinton is not smiling. Like, nobody in the picture is smiling. It's very stern because you didn't want to give any propaganda. And here's Smiley Don holding this big envelope, right? It will certainly be a propaganda tool. So I think early on, North Korea has gotten a bit of an advantage. Yeah. doesn't mean it's going to work out that way. I, I'm not at all opposed to to opening dialogue and discussion and, and negotiations. I think the thing that worries me is that I haven't, I haven't seen or heard anything coming out of the Trump administration that hints at any sort of plan other than denuclearize or will kill you, yeah. right? Which, which is the, the when you talk about a deal, like a deal that could be made would be great, but I don't know that there's really much room for negotiation in Donald Trump's head. And that's what concerns me mm-hmm. as we go forward in this. There's not some yeah. middle ground where Donald Trump's going to emerge feeling like a, 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 you know, like he's won. I don't know. Maybe that he, he seems to change his mind about what is winning and, yeah. and whatever he's done qualifies as winning. So maybe that maybe that won't be the case. I don't know. I yeah. will say a positive development is that John Bolton has been sidelined in this conversation and mm-hmm. Mike Pompeo is now leading it. And yeah. in these sessions, Bolton isn't allowed in the room. So that says at least they're they're cognizant of the fact that he's such a nut that Bolton mm-hmm. that you can't have him and the North Koreans don't want anything to do with I, him. I never thought I'd feel good about Mike Pompeo running. <laughs> yes, yes, me too. I, I want to <clears throat> quickly piggyback on my other my previous point. Um, similar to the other regimes that I was talking about, there has been no discussion about the well-being of the North Korean people at all in any of these no, no, that's right. negotiations. That's an important point. Which, uh, it, from my understanding, uh, famine and malnutrition and starvation is getting more and more prevalent as the days go by yeah. and it's it's a really really dire situation that no one is paying attention to they, they are a terrible regime they're and, terrible and the individual the big envelope individual that trump is in a picture with is a terrible He's guy really right bad. i mean that's a, and, and so that's why they should have known better than to have smiling don smile i mean mm-hmm. it's just yeah right. he just sees smiling I know. He's, he is, he's, he's got he doesn't have a care he in the so world much rage rage except for when he's with the north koreans so <laughs> all right topic number two so phil you can't have your gay wedding cake and eat it, too. Well, well, maybe you can. I don't know. All right. So on Monday, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a Colorado baker who had refused to create a wedding cake for a gay couple. The court's decision was narrow, and it left open the larger question of whether a business can discriminate against gay men and lesbians based on the rights protected by their First Amendment. Amendment. Instead... Justice Kennedy's majority opinion turned on the argument that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, which originally ruled against the baker, had been shown to be hostile to religion because of remarks of one of its members. It appears the court decided it didn't like the merits of this particular case to weigh in on the deeper question of the First Amendment, which is a bit anticlimactic, but also very strategic. So Mm -hmm. gay wedding cake, I don't know if we're pulling a lot out of this. They got it on a technicality. Yes, so, they, they avoided ruling on the right. on the real the core issue on this case, which is surprising because the, you would think the court would take a case because they want to weigh in in such a matter, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think my understanding was that there were a lot of people who were surprised that the Supreme Court took this case in the first place. So to if if it surprised people to take it and then to not rule on it is yeah it's a that's a weird it's a weird dynamic and then to have yeah, a so, seven to two ruling where you had both conservative and liberal justices Kagan and Breyer uh, you know agreeing with Kennedy and then the conservative justices is also unique mm-hmm. right but but the, my under this is where it would have been great to, it would be great yes. we'll have, when we have Tom back on to pick this apart he'll have be, to explain it to us it'll be really interesting because <laughs> you know you've got you've got essentially my understanding about. You know, it was a 7-2 decision, but there were 
about four or five different opinions that were written on this. Um, and they turn on lots of different issues. And it, 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 the core of the of the case, again, was about this Colorado Civil Rights Commission and the one guy who basically talked about how religion is stupid. Um, and so essentially it was I, my my impression was that it was ruled that it just wasn't a fair his religious rights were infringed upon, mm-hmm. not because he couldn't make a cake, but because this this commission treated him poorly. Yes. Um, they, it, there were the there were some opinions that were written about whether or not free speech comes into play here, um, and I think Ginsburg was one who had a pretty strong opinion yes. on it. Um, and I don't remember who was with her. Was it Sotomayor? Sotomayor that was with yeah, her? yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, the issue still has to be. I, I think the headline, a seven to two decision on, you know, in favor of this, the the baker. Um, gives an impression that isn't at all, in, in fact. Right, that's the story. Nobody, I, I this it's is a, the it's a punt. realistically yeah. before we started talking about this or that it was brought up um, as a potential topic. I had no idea that it was on these grounds. Yeah, you would think that they just ruled in favor of the banker, right. and yeah. this was done. It's all no gay wedding cakes. <laughs> so the ruling was seven, my favorite part about this ruling. It was seven to two, mm-hmm. and so then that's out there. And the descriptions of it were it was a narrow decision, as, as we described yeah. it here. And Don, Don Trump Jr. said, 7 to 2 isn't narrow, man. That's <laughs> majority. Like, there's, there's different ways you can understand narrow, yeah. Don Jr., narrow, right? The ruling means... itself, the substance of the ruling yes. versus the number, Don. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, I, um, I, you know, I, I, even d- despite the fact that they didn't rule on this, I, I know we've talked about this case before, mm-hmm. but I find the debate fascinating yes. and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I it's not an easy thing for for me and I, and I know we talked about this with Tom at one point but this idea again about free speech versus you know um, you know the the rights of, of gay uh, individuals versus the the rights of religion and whether or not you can be forced to you know do something that you disagree with in, in terms of religion it, it's not an easy no. solution it's not an easy case for for me right I, I do think we we make room for people to practice their religions even when we don't agree with it we make room for people to say what they want even when we don't agree with it but we also make you know we we also have all of these rules that i don't have any problem disagreeing you know i don't have any problem um agreeing with rules that say that you can't discriminate in terms of business or housing against african americans or against you know and and so i i it really kind of brings together it's unfortunate that it's about a cake being baked, but it's yeah. these kind of really core essential questions about when you have two fundamental rights that, you know, that uh, interfere with each other, who wins? And I, I don't know that we necessarily have good ways of, of solving those sorts of conundrums in our society. And I think that's what we saw in the court. I, I will say I was a little disappointed that there wasn't a real substantive decision here. And I don't know if I would have agreed with that decision. But it does feel like the court dodged this. And I don't know why they dodged it. Maybe the, and again, when we bring Tom back, we can really break this down in detail. Maybe the case itself just wasn't good enough. And apparently there's lots of these cases out there. And they were waiting for a better case. But then why take it? They knew that when they took it. They mm-hmm. knew that this was a good case. And, and oftentimes the Supreme Court can, even if it's not a per, per, perfect case, they can still make an argument about the case. And so this was disappointing in, for me because I wanted to see that legal argument. I wanted to see Kennedy and whoever the justices would be to weigh in, to see where we are. It, would, it was a, you know, a way to measure where the country is in terms of the, the judicial branch. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 what? 
Go ahead. Uh, how much time do we have left on this topic? You have one second. <laughs> okay, never mind. We can talk about it with Tom. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back. This will be a good one. When Tom will come back, it'll be it'll be. Well, I'll I'll throw out the yeah. idea. One of the one of the, uh, I, I think one of the in one of the decisions I forget who it may have been the majority opinion they they were talking about or maybe it was it, it doesn't matter one of the justices was writing about um, the right of someone to. In Colorado, you have the right to not like if you if you wanted to not print, you know, anti-gay yeah. messages or, you know, if you wanted to not do a cake for the KKK, you have that right. Right. So you have a right to refuse hate speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question was whether you have a right to if that was fundamentally different than this. Right. I choose not to endorse yes. something yes. versus I choose they're They're both endorsing. They're just yes. endorsing two different opinions. Yes. Um, and there was a dis- disagreement on the court about whether or not those were fundamentally the same or whether those were fundamentally different. Right. Saying I'm mm-hmm. not going to print anti-gay speech versus I'm going to I'm going to refuse to print pro-gay yes. speech. Yeah. Whatever. They, they are, um, they're they're different ways of approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. But are, I, I found myself thinking a lot and really kind of going back and forth in my head about whether those really are different or whether they are essentially the same. Are they both free speech and does it matter that one's pro and one's con? Anyway, mm. there's lots of really interesting issues yeah. and the court didn't settle any of them. No, no. Mm-hmm. This, was, this was disappointing. All right. Topic number three. Trump is giving out pardons like a drunken sailor. So on Thursday, President Trump pardoned... Cons- drunken sailors issue pardons? Yeah, they can now. Yeah. Didn't you know that? It's in the Constitution, oh, I- Phil. So. <laughs> President Trump pardoned conservative author Dinesh D'Souza, claiming he was, quote, very, very unfairly treated. Trump has now pardoned five individuals, um, most notably Joseph Apario, Trump, uh, and also Scooter Libby, Jack Johnson. Uh, Trump has the absolute constitutional power to do this, and he is hardly the first president to grant clemency to an unsavory figure. Yet, like many things, Trump has, has his own unique approach to. With D'Souza, Mr. Trump rewarded a man who knowingly violated the rules of the political system, making two illegal $10,000 campaign contributions to the U.S. Senate bid of New York Republican Wendy Long. In 2014, D'Souza pleaded guilty in federal court to violating the federal election campaign law, and according to then U.S. Attorney Preet Bahara, uh, admitted that he knew what he was doing was wrong and something the law forbids. Trump has also floated the idea of pardoning two former Apprentice stars, Martha Stewart and Rob Blagojevich. Oh. I think we're just seeing the tip of Trump's pardon iceberg. Uh, apparently, this is something he's ex- he. There are some signs that he may put out a couple dozen pardons over the next month or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil, promise me this is all going to work out and it's not going to be a big deal. <laughs> promise me, Phil. Yeah, promise me, Phil. Uh, <laughs> you were you were really excited to talk about this. So uh, this one, this was an important topic for you. Well, I, so again, this is, this is, it's important because, um, of the way this is different from the way presidents have worked in the past. So presidents issue pardons. It's not uncommon for presidents to issue pardons. Oftentimes they wait till the end of their term Mm -hmm. to issue pardons. And oftentimes, you know, for a, for a person to receive a pardon there, there oftentimes has to be some, you know, either. Um, they, they've happened sort of posthumously because someone was treated really poorly by the law um, or uh, they have to be people who show, you know, a tremendous remorse about what they've done. Dinesh D'Souza is not any of those things, right? Yeah. He's he is a right wing. He's he's, um, a, you know, a conspiracy theorist. He is uh, he just really a pretty despicable guy. Um, 
in my book. Some people think he's not despicable. A lot of people think he's great. I think he's, he's, he's not he's not a great person. Um, but this, I mean, to me, this is pretty straightforward, a political pardon, right? It's yeah. people who are allies of his or it, it's like the Joe Arpaio thing. The timing of these and the nature of these pardons is what's concerning. He has the right to do it, but it's, again, this shift in norms and the ways in which he's approaching it. Um, and, I, you know, you suggested, Bill, and when we were sort of texting about this, that this is laying the groundwork for future pardons to come yeah. maybe. Yeah. And, and, um, I hadn't really thought about that part of, part of me thinks it's just that Trump, you know, people are nice to him. And so he's nice back. Someone <laughs> has his ear and says, Hey, you should pardon Joe Arpaio or Hey, you should pardon Dinesh D'Souza and Kim Kardashian. And the next one is going to be from Kim Kardashian. She, she raised yeah. somebody in Trump's head. He's like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. But so I don't I mean, do you think this is strategic or is this just Trump's personality revealed through the pardon process? I, I think it could be both. Right. I think he likes I, I think he likes the power. My sense is that he came to this office thinking that the presidency was an imperial office, that he was going to have a lot of power to dictate things. And then you get into office and you realize it's really difficult to get things done, except for pardons where he can just do this and he can he can, um, you know, what whoever he wants to save, he can do that. And so. If he lowers the bar for pardons by pardoning all these other individuals, then it's easier down the road to say, well, I'm going to pardon my son and my son-in-law and these others. The Washington Post had an article today where they said, quote, a White House official this week said Trump is obsessed with pardons, describing them as the president's new, quote, favorite thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, he may sign a dozen or more in the next two months, the person added. So I think this is something he loves. He can do it and nobody can stop him, Nick. <sighs> That's my favorite I, Nick Grunt. Mm, <laughs> I, I I don't know if I'm as vehemently uh, disgusted with D'Souza as, as you are, Phil. But um, I, my my issue with this particular situation is that there are a number of Democratic campaign contributors who contributed significantly more illegally, including Rosie O'Donnell, for one, uh, who nobody talks about. Uh, who should be in the same boat. Having said that, given the laws that are on the books, I absolutely believe that he should have been put away for what he did, in, in, as well as anybody else who committed mm -hmm. actions like this. I, <clears throat> Go ahead. No, no you're, I mean, your point may be valid, but if, if that were true about, Ro if that's true about Rosie O'Donnell and she were prosecuted and convicted and then President Hillary Clinton said, I yeah, pardon you, absolutely. your face would be melting off. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Regardless, yeah, this is the law that's on the books right now, so they absolutely are culpable for their actions. I am not disputing that in any way, shape, or form. Yes, he's a right-wing nut, you know, at worst. Um, my issue, I, I guess, my bigger issue with this is the again the level of of power and influence that we've given to the executive branch over the years it just allows them to take these sort of actions without any repercussions whatsoever and just flout the judicial system which makes yeah. no sense to me whatsoever it's I, it's insane yeah i agree and i think it's not it's not even that that see i i take a slightly different approach in that you you talk about the expanding power of the presidency which is absolutely true but the other part of it is this reverence we have for the Constitution, this mm -hmm. idea that when people wrote this document 250 years ago, they said the president can do this. So what are we going to do? Well, we're not it's not it, the Constitution 
as fantastic of a document as it is, is not the Ten Commandments handed down by God, right? We can change this. If we have a problem with the fact that the president can single-handedly, like, tell, tell people that they're not, they don't have to face the legal consequences of their actions, we can amend the Constitution. We can change these things. It's not, we're not bound by them we are bound by the Constitution as long as it is written as it is, but we can change these so things. So you're saying you want to rip up the Constitution? Is that I, what you're saying, Phil? Phil Barker. I'm saying, <laughs> yes, yes. No, I'm saying that the, because <clears throat> things are constitutional, it oftentimes means that we just don't even engage in a debate about yeah. it. And so yeah. the idea that this is constitutional doesn't mean it should be the end of the debate about whether the president should have this power or not. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, given when the, when the Constitution was written, there were not many federal laws. Right. I mean, there was like piracy and a couple other things treason right. so there's a handful of laws most of the laws were at the state level mm-hmm. which the president cannot pardon so we're in a different reality right now where we have way more federal laws and maybe it's it's the time to say this is absurd that the president can undermine the legal system now, mm-hmm. I, I i it's not going to happen but trump's going to ruin I, that, it yeah. he's going to ruin <laughs> it it's interesting though that we keep having these discussions about things that need to change under this presidency and I still think there there is a possibility that some of these things could be rectified before the end of this term, whenever that actually ends. Mm-hmm. Do I think it's likely? Probably not, given the political climate. But we're having discussions now that we were not having prior to this administration. Oh, that's true. That's yeah, true. It's your silver. It's the silver line. A silver lining, <laughs> right? right? Silver lining. We're reflecting on our <laughs> democracy. This is good. All right, topic number four. So President Trump's decision on Thursday to slap tariffs on steel and aluminum from Canada, Mexico, and the European Union sharply escalated global trade tensions and widened a rift with America's closest allies. U.S. allies quickly condemned the act and promised a dollar-for-dollar retaliation as well as a multilateral challenge at the World Trade Organization. European Council President Donald Tusk, which I love the fact that the EU president is named Donald Tusk, (laughs) So close to Trump Um, expressed a frustration that's been bubbling across Europe this week when he said of President Trump, quote, with friends like that, who needs enemies? Fuck yourself. (laughs) That's great. Trump is quickly turning longtime allies and allies into enemies. And it appears he's not joking around with his global trade war. Somebody I can't remember who did once say, quote, trade wars are good and easy to win. And I will say one quick thing before I throw it to you guys. Today, Mexico announced that they were going to put tariffs on Pork, whiskey, and cheese. Yes. I love Mexico. They're like, all right, pork, whiskey, and cheese. Suck on it, America. That'll do it. <laughs> gotcha. So, Phil, uh, good good policy? Good good trade wars? Good? Yeah. I, it de- I mean, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to step back from it. It, it depends on your perspective. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it physically hurt you to say that. Yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, so yes, it, 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 I, I, he has pissed off all of our allies, right? It's, you know, Canada as like Trudeau was, was pissed yes. this week, right? Yes. I mean, so Canada, Mexico, the EU, I mean, these are our top other than China, um, our top trade partners, right? Canada and Mexico are, are they above? One's Canada's above and above? one's below. Yeah. Canada's above Yeah, they're, they're north of us. Yes. Yeah. No, no, I'm not <laughs> yeah, talking one about is south. geography. One I'm is talking north. about volume of trade I think, trade <laughs> I think i think you're right i think it is canada <laughs> oh god anyway these it's are our top, you know our top trade partners that we're infuriating and 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 isolating in in the idea that 
we are wanting to put pressure on China. So the idea that that you know putting pressure on China might be a good idea, and even some level of tariffs might possibly be a good idea when you're dealing with China. But this broad-based application means that we're isolating ourselves in ways that make it harder for us to actually apply the pressure where it needs mm-hmm. to go, which is which is to China. I mean, I this is I I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's somewhat short-sighted in that. Um, you you protect some domestic industries, you know, uh, some steel industries in the short term. Um, in the long term, it's it's gonna it's gonna hurt. And so that, it's just it's just complicated, right? Mm. It's a complicated issue that I think many Americans want to see simply. Yeah, I, I mean, there's 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 just no reason for for the the blanket approach that they've they've used thus far when all of our attention should be paid to China at this point, on top of the fact that most of the steel industry in this country depends on imports from Europe or China or any of those other importing countries that we rely on. Um, Having said that, at least in the short term and potentially in the long term, we still hold the upper hand given the size and strength of the economy. I was reading a story today that in the wake of all this, um, the American dollar is steady and potentially climbing, and the Canadian dollar and the peso is slumping pretty significantly on all of this news. So, I, I mean, that's not a terrible bargaining position to be in from the administration standpoint. It, again, at least in the short term, um, it it begs the question of. If there is a a positive turn in this in the sense of our economy remains stable while the economies that are affected by these tariffs begins or begin to waver slightly, does that make negotiations for NAFTA or other trade agreements more likely going forward? The consensus, at least right now, is that that's not the case. But I don't know. Having having your currency slump on an international level is is a good motivator in my opinion i mean you guys are right that the trade rules are complicated global trade is complicated but when a majority of economists say trade wars are a terrible idea when you've got most democrats and most free trade conservatives also up in arms about this i think in some ways this is simple you know the united states is is a country that we're not a free trader we you know we pursue trade rules that benefit us all the time so there's this deep hypocrisy to the united states and donald trump in particular saying oh we're not getting a fair deal that's it's just that's not true i mean a lot of developing countries are getting a raw end of the deal in terms of our agricultural products uh, i think both you know canada and the united states mutually benefit from trade same thing with mexico uh, the idea that that coal job or steel I'm sorry steel jobs are coming that's, that's just that's not a reality it's not going to happen and Trump is engaging in this populist argument which isn't going to bring back jobs isn't going to help the American economy and I, I think it's really short-sighted so for me this is this troubles me that they're doing this and I, I would say you know Steve Bannon is on this European tour making a similar argument he's he's making this argument globally. That it's it's so it's out there and it's I, for me it's deeply troubling. I, I mean I I agree with that in a lot of ways. I think there's some implication there that outside of what we do to other countries, that what other countries are doing to us is a relatively level playing field. And mm-hmm. again, based off of my research and what I've heard recently, I think it was um, whoever is in charge of cyber warfare or something in the administration uh, talking specifically about China based on their inter, uh, inter, 
wow, intellectual property theft uh, and their practices with transferring IP for companies that are in Silicon Valley yeah, to right. Chinese corporations. He said it was the greatest transfer of wealth in human history over the past 20 years. That is not a level playing field, in my opinion, regardless of, you know, the, the baseline trade policies that we have in place. The playing field on a three dimensional level is not fair in any way, shape or form. Sure. So there has to be something that changes. Is it this particular strategy? No, probably Putting not. Tariff, tariffs yeah. on, your, on your, the EU and no, Canada and No, probably Mexico. not that one. Well, because that's, really that's, that's Trump's whole thing. strategy is, is bilateral agreements, no multilateral agreements. Let's, and he's even talking about that with NAFTA. Let's, let's have a separate deal with Canada and a separate deal with Mexico. And I, I just think that that causes states to retrench globally. And the net effect of that for me is, is troubling. So, But right. I, I agree. Intellectual property rights are a big deal. And you would hope you could get a global agreement where you create some standards for that. Because uh, China is a cheater, there's no doubt. Yeah, yeah they're terrible. Yeah. I hate them. All right, final, final topic. <laughs> nice this, this is a good one. This is kind they're of a happy nice and a... <laughs> All right, so um, late Monday, President Trump called off the White House celebration honoring the Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles. Fewer than 10 members of the team were planning on attending after nearly all of the players and coaches said they would boycott the visit in protest. Trump stated the players, quote, disagree with their president because he insists that they proudly stand for the national anthem hand on heart in honor of the great men and women of our military and the people of our country, unquote. Uh, he instead invited Eagle fans tweeting, we will be playing the national anthem and other wonderful music celebrating our country, closing with, quote, NFL, no escaping the lock, no escaping to locker rooms. I'm not sure this is a sound political strategy to attack a specific team in an all-important swing state of Pennsylvania. And I will say today there were some pictures of this event, and it was a lot of guys in suits, and I didn't see anybody in an Eagles jersey. So <laughs> this feels a little contrived. Um, Phil, uh, he's, he's clearly he's trying to bring the culture wars Again, yep. like he's recycling this. But there's a difference between attacking the NFL and attacking a particular team. Do you think this backfires on him? Well, so first of all, he's full of shit, right? Yeah, okay, I mean, the, the, so um, the the reason that they there, – there have been lots of Eagles players who have been making public statements and tweeting today about how the, their decision to not go didn't have to do with the kneeling or yes. – any of that stuff it had to do with other other reasons um he's you know been spurned by this nfl team and so he's finding some reason you know he's making it that he's making the claim that he is the one right yeah. who's not inviting them um when in fact they just chose not to come um it's also worth saying that no eagle player kneeled this entire regular season there was one guy who knelt in the preseason and he was cut from the team i'm i don't think for that reason but he just um, sucked yeah. So so to make this about like the Eagles kneeling and that's why they're not invited. It, it's just it's he's full of shit. Yeah. Now, whether this backfires, I don't know. Like, I, I think I I talk to people who, you know, I who. Family members and others who can be pissed off about athletes uh, kneeling or some athlete makes some liberal statement and I hate him, but they're still cheering for their team 100 percent. So mm -hmm. I think it's possible for someone to be an Eagles fan and still love Donald Trump and feel like Donald Trump's making a statement about like, I love the Eagles and the, the Eagles should stand up and, and shouldn't, shouldn't be kneeling. So it, I think it's possible to, to 
I don't I don't I think it's it doesn't necessarily backfire for him. I, I don't know that it, it he pays that big of a price. I think it sort of is a blip off the radar mm-hmm. and and he's I don't know, spun this way in a way that beyond the Philadelphia area plays well for him. Mm-hmm. Nick, you were kind of saying the same thing. We're thinking the same thing. Are you reading my mind? I'm reading your mind. <laughs> I, thought you said, I thought you texted something yesterday. You were you you didn't think this was a terrible idea on his part. And realistically, I I, I think it's a, a like Phil said, it's it's a blip on the radar. It's a borderline non-story yeah. at, at at best. Um, I I did enjoy uh, what you were saying about the Phillies fans and how that was not going to play well with them, Phil. And I just assumed they were all vetted Trump supporters, anyways. And like you said, that's why they were all in suits and nobody gave a shit, anyways. And it just goes away. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I do think he's full of shit in this particular situation. The, my other point on this is I I just find it hard to feel sympathy for anybody that is making millions of dollars playing football and if you are those people then be leaders in your community and spend all of your off time being you know doing doing charity work and doing all like from a a, a just kind of a meta perspective not in this particular situation it's just I the whole thing is dumb I'm just done with this whole thing I don't give a shit about the NFL it just needs to die at this point because right. I'm so tired of fair, all fair of enough it. let me let me push back a little bit on this I, a couple things I would say is one I think it's important to note that the players are kneeling because they're there's deeper issues of police violence in African American communities and I think that is a totally legitimate yeah. issue and, and here's the thing to circle back to the Baker case the, the, the core argument that Trump and his administration was making is this Baker has the right to say, I don't want to make a gay cake. Well, mm-hmm. then don't African-American athletes have the right to say, I don't want to, I'm going to kneel because I'm frustrated about political violence in my community. So I think you, you if you're going to be Trump, right. you have to be consistent and say, if the baker has his, his, a right, his right to speech and expression, so do the NFL players. Mm-hmm. The other thing, like you, Nick, I'm mad at the NFL. I'm mad at Trump on this. Like, I think the players have a right to do this. And in some ways, I encourage, I'm glad that they're doing it because there aren't a lot of African-Americans who have the same uh, platform that NFL players or professional athletes have, so I don't have a problem with that. But the NFL, they've they've sort of cloaked themselves in patriotism for years, yep. like with the national yep. anthem and all of this, and now it's coming back to bite them in the butt because some players are pushing back. I don't feel sorry for the NFL. I don't feel sorry for Trump. I hope this. I hope Pennsylvania flips, and because I, I think he's using this hyper patriotism in a really ugly way, and I wouldn't care if it was Democrat or Republican. It just frustrates me that he can take control of this issue and make it about patriotism when it's really about race and and, and sort of more community dynamics. So this mm-hmm. this one just. What do you say? Wrinkles my ass? This, yeah, wrinkles my ass. Yeah, this this, yeah, one, this one gets me. I don't know. TM well, on that it, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, in, in the this the point that we often make, which is that the the fact that a president could throw this story out that was so see through, and not really get that much back. Yeah. And Fox News, like Fox News, had to apologize for the story they ran, in which they ran a picture of Eagles players kneeling. Um, and and ran a story. Did you see this? Yes, ran a story yeah. about about um, uh, about you know the Eagles not respecting the the national anthem. Whatever. It was a photo of them in a in a pregame prayer. The team, <laughs> right. right? So right. totally taken out of context and and just you know just manipulating the story for 
their political agenda. And mm. it, it all just makes a statement about where we are politically that's really I, sad. I will say good on Fox for apologizing for that. Mm. I mean, they did. I mean, I get they shouldn't have done it. Easy. <laughs> they shouldn't have done it. But they did at least own up to say, sorry, apparently those guys were praying and not, you apparently. know, hating the flag. So, I, again, just uh, I think it's. A little good on Fox. Not much, just a little. I mean, this is another one of those things. We talked about it with the, the Correspondence Center. Like, why does anybody give a shit about this anymore? Like, it just, this is one of those things that you don't need to have them come to the White House, you know, do a phone call. That's true. And be done with it. Whoever's on the other, li- on the other end of that phone is whatever. You can talk to them. It just, this, and I understand it's a goodwill thing and it's a tradition and whatever, but it's one of those things that you just don't need to do. And like, sure. it doesn't need to be this hyperbolic thing that we've turned it into on top of that. I, That's I, a good point. But I will say before Trump, this was not a political thing. So when it was Reagan or Bush or Clinton, they just came out and they shook hands and it was, you know, it was a nice thing at the White House. Nobody said anything. Nobody politicized it. It was a different climate, though. I, I know. Because of Trump, though, right? I, you think it's really this, because of him? You don't yes. think that wasn't, wasn't already in the works prior to that? Nobody We've was, talked about this the entire length of the podcast. Teams showed up for George W. Bush. Teams showed up for Obama. I, I, I think... There's something distinct about Trump that is. Oh, I agree. Yeah. It's worse now. Yeah. But again, those th- he did not create those things. He is a byproduct of those feelings. He may have exacerbated it. I think but- with the NFL, he created it, Nick. Oh, okay. all right, <laughs> all right. And I, 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 in, at a meta level, I agree with you. <laughs> I think in, in the ex- specific example of the NFL, I think he picked this fight over race and kneeling for the national anthem. In a way that makes him, I think he picked this fight. Uh, I don't, I don't disagree that yeah. he that he picked this fight. I still think that those sentiments were were there. Yeah. He just he fanned those flames real, real good. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, in the end, the president might have the constitutional power of a pardon. There's nothing that constitutionally says the president has to invite Super Bowl right. champions to the White House. <laughs> no, go fuck yourself. And, and nobody, so he doesn't have to invite them, and they don't have to come. Like I, I don't. It's sort of like why is this such a big deal, yeah, right? If right. he invites them, and ten of them show up, then have a nice photo shoot. Invite like if you really want to invite a team who won the Super Bowl to the White House, invite them. Yeah. And the ten who show up, give them a hell of a tour, right? And yeah. Give them some nice food. Take them in the Oval Office, shake their hand. And the ones who don't want to come, so what? <laughs> Just I don't. Why is this such a huge right. thing? But for Trump, if only ten players show up, it's embarrassing. Oh right? yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Of yeah, course. and so that's why he overreacted. Like I'm, I'm uninviting right. you. He, right. He uninvited somebody else. What was it? Was it North Korea? Maybe it was North Maybe Korea. Was North that's Korea. what I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So. so many people he <laughs> disinvited. <laughs> yes. Uh, anything else? No, on it was, this is fun. Man, that one was. God, this is so much exhausting. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> why are these making me more and more tired as time goes on? Um. If you like these discussions uh, or, or don't like them and want to share your anger with everyone around you, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Politics. Oh, no, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L. Uh, beers that we try you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. We're just Barstool Politics, so follow us on there. Uh, podcast is on SoundCloud and Stitcher and Spreaker and Google Play Music and Blueberry Blueberry Blue Blueberry um, pretty much everything but ask, ask your smart speaker ask your smart speaker you can do that <laughs> say Alexa or whoever the person is on that the genie in there say play Barstool Politics and it'll play that apparently yeah that's really cool um, but then iTunes that's where most of you are listening so um, 
share us on there, review us on there. That helps us make this grow. Um, yeah, and we appreciate the support. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers. See you next week. Cheers. <laughs>